chapter 4, and we'll read verses 5 through to 14. For stand, uh, the reading of God's word, I'll read the first verse and you respond the second verse. Then we get to the end and then we'll read together. So it'll be verses, uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through to 14. Verse 5, And it came to pass that on the morrow that the rulers and the elders and the scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kingdom of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? If it be if we this day be examined of the good deed done unto this impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is not a name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus together, and beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So tonight the focus will be in verse 13. I'll read it again. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening, and uh, we thank you for the singing of your hymns, and we thank you, Lord, for your word and for the clarity of your word, and Lord, how plain it is, Lord, and the truth that we can learn from it. Lord, I pray that uh, this tonight would be pleasing to you, and Lord, that uh, you bless the word of my mouth, Lord, not as it being my word, but Lord, your word spoken through me. And we pray, Lord, your spirit would work, Lord, tonight in the hearts of the people, and Lord, in my heart as well, Lord, we ask you to do this to glorify your name. And I'll be asked you to do it in Jesus' my precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, we see, if we go to the um, first chapter of the book of Acts, um, we see in verse 3 it says, uh, start verse, one, verse 1, Acts 1 1, says, The former theses I have made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach, both do and teach, until the day which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion, so that's after his uh, crucifixion and his burial. So when he arose, he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, 
speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So the, min- the public ministry of Christ ran for about three years and culminated in his crucifixion on the cross and then his burial. And then the, if you go, I, the uh, high priest and the Sadducees, the council, they agreed together that um, they were going to make a false story about what happened, why there was no body. They told the uh, guard that they had set over the tomb to say that his, when, while we were asleep, um, that his disciples came and stole him. And they said, you know, and if the governor hears that you were sleeping while you're on duty, we'll, we'll make sure that you don't get executed for, um, for failing to perform your duties. But we know the account of Christ. We sang the hymn just then, He Lives. Uh, how do we know He lives? He lives within my heart. There's no... The way we know He lives is Him living in our hearts. Amen. You need a pen? All right. <laughs> so they were. He was seen of them forty days, and after the forty days, there was still ten days till the Pente- uh, feast of Pentecost. Um, and Pentecost was to do with the feast of weeks. They were to count from the. It's in Leviticus twenty-three, I think. If you put that up, twenty-three verse fifteen. They were to number um, seven Sabbaths. After the harvest, um, and so even on the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, you shall number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. So that is <coughs> the feast of Pentecost. It was the one of the three feasts that they had to all male Jews had to show up at the feast. There was uh, the feast of Passover, I think the feast of Tabernacles, and the feast of Pentecost, which is called the Feast of Weeks in Leviticus. Um, but they, and we see in um, chapter 2, the power and the, the, of the preaching of the apostles, they won 3,000 on the first, you know, the first uh, in the morning. And if you follow... I, reading it, it seems as though at the ninth hour of the same day, on the ninth hour is when they went up. And the ninth hour in chapter 3, Acts chapter 3 verse 1, and now now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the ninth, at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And this is when they meet the lame man and we get the children's song, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, verse 6, Give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we can see the power, you know, they, they, they preached and they had the 3,000 saved. Then they healed this lame man. And then the, there's a second preaching in the temple and they see 5,000 saved. Um, and when, <laughs> sorry, when they came to be examined, you know, what, what was the power, all that the uh, council could determine was that they had been with Jesus. They were, you know, fishermen. They were, as it says, ignorant and unlearned. They hadn't gone to Bible college. They hadn't gone to seminar. They hadn't done 
And they weren't even part of the Pharisees, let alone the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. And they yet stood up and told them, you've crucified the Messiah, you've killed the Lord and the King of the Jews. Um, And the result of their power was their life that they had lived with Christ. They'd spent three years following Christ around whatever Christ did, wherever he went. They went with him if Christ was going to go to uh, Samaria even, a place where the, the Jews you just didn't go. They went there with him anyway. Um, you can read about him going to Samaria. It's um, John chapter 4. There's other um, texts. And they, you know, they were gonna, the disciples were all, let's call fire down on these people who have rejected Christ. Um, and Christ rebuked them over that. Rebuked their... Um, they said, you know not of what spirit ye are. Um, and they were with Christ learning. You know, when Christ preached on in the Beatitudes on the Mount in Matthew, they were there when he travelled. They were there when he was praying in the garden. They were there physically, if not uh, Mentally and spiritually they were willing, but the flesh was weak. They, they wanted and had the desire to pray with Christ, but they couldn't because of the infirmity of their flesh. Um, when Christ healed the sick, he, he, uh, they were there. When they had meals together, they, he was obviously there. Um, and they lived every part of their life with Christ. The whole point in being a disciple was to be disciplined in the teaching of whoever your master was. Um, if you read about what uh, the Apostle Paul said, he was a essentially a disciple of Gamaliel. Initially, he um, in Acts, when he's giving his testimony to the mob, um, In the, uh, chapter 22, start in verse 1, Men and brethren, fathers, hear ye, hear ye my defense which I now make unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silent. And he saith, I am, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, Gamaliel, sorry, however you say his name, am taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God as ye all are this day. So the Apostle Paul was the disciple to Gamaliel. He was taught in the way of the law and in in the customs. And in that way, the disciples were the disciples of Jesus Christ. They were to follow his discipline, his rule. Um... Now they and they had. Um, it wasn't just that Christ said, "Right, this is what we're going to do," and you don't get to know why. You learnt why as you go. They had fellowship with Christ. They talked about the issues of life. Even uh, you know they, they they could talk about you know well the Sumerians are doing this. Let's call fire down on them, and Christ rebuked them over that because again they knew not what spirit they were of, but if we go to Mark chapter 9, verse 
Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Verse 33. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and said unto them, If any man desireth to be first, the same shall be the last of all, and the servant of all. And he took a child, and set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in, the, in arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of, one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So they talked to Christ about everything, even the areas that were embarrassing. They had been arguing over who was greatest and they knew that you know such a petty childish thing it says that they held their peace because you know they, they were embarrassed well we've been arguing over I'm better than him and he's better than me and I think I'm better than him even though I'm you know the, the basis is not um, it was probably based on how many people you know they had brought to Christ how many people um, you know, how, how much they had helped out, how much, like, Christ they considered themselves based on their own view. You know, they said, well, he prays this many minutes a day, so he's better than him, but I pray more than him, so I'm better than both of them. And that, that's what they'd been arguing out over. Um, and they were ashamed to speak to Christ about that area, you know, their petty squabble, um, because they viewed it as a petty squabble, but we need to realise that you know if we if we're squabbling about something or or talking with about something, Christ already knows about it because He can read our thoughts. If you want, you know, it doesn't matter what area you talk about in your life, you can talk to Christ about it. And if you've been thinking, well, this or that and it's not right, and you say, well, it's not right, so I'm not going to talk to God about it, and you say, well, because God, you know, I don't, I don't want to be embarrassed. God already knows that you've been thinking along those lines. He knows your thought before you've, before you've opened your mouth. So God looks for honesty in us. Will we be honest enough to admit it, even though he already knows it? Thank you. Um, if we go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. Thank you. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5 it says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So it's saying there, the, the high priest, or the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, 
They would stand up there, and if you've been in the youth program, Levy makes a great Pharisee. Um, but and, you know, you stand up, and, and uh, you know, you say, "Well, look, look at me. Look at what I've done." If you go to Luke uh, chapter eighteen, um, Luke eighteen, it talks, it gives the example of what they were like. Uh, Luke eighteen and verse ten, this is the parable of Christ. He says. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. So he's standing where you know, everyone can see him and he's praying and he's saying, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So he's standing up there as... We read uh, in Matthew, it says, Matthew 6, 5 says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen of men. That's um, Luke 18, verse 10. It's talking about that kind of a person, that they look, look at me, look at what I've done for Christ, look at what, or look at what I've done for God, look at what I'm doing, look at how good I am. But if you read the rest of the chapter, uh, read the rest of that passage, and it says in verse 13, Luke 18, 13, it says, And the publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So he was in the corner, and he didn't, <coughs> sorry, he didn't make a show of his spirituality. He, a publican was one who had to have betrayed his nation and was working in league with the uh, foreign occupying power. And he understood that he was no good. If you look at that, um, the Bible says in Romans chapter uh, 10, verse uh, 9, I think, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you read the story of this man in Luke 18, he admits that he is a sinner. He says, um, he says God be merciful to me, a sinner. He understands that he's a sinner, and that it's by the mercy of God that he is saved. And, so, and he asks in the temple, kneeling down, praying, you know, he humbles himself before God, and kneeling down and praying, and the Bible says, I tell you, in verse 14, that this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and him that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Um, so, if we go back to Matthew chapter Matthew chapter six, and we carry on with in verse six. Matthew chapter six and verse six says, "But thou." So he's saying, you know, these people they stand and they pray and they make their um, their big public show and. Um, but he says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. When you go into your 
uh, closet, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be where, exactly where you keep your clothes. Um, I can't fit in mine. Um, there's too much stuff in it. Um, and not clothing. Um, but you, a place where you can pray, where you're not going to be disturbed, where you can talk out loud to God, is necessary. Sometimes I can do it in the room. If I, if I know Tim's busy, I'll do it in my bedroom. We're sharing a room. But oftentimes, to get alone, I will go out in the woods um, where nobody is. There's tracks through the bush, um, so I assume other people go out there. Um, but to get alone with God and to be able to talk to God, because when you're alone, you know, we have our prayer list, and we have all our requests out there, but there's stuff that's on people's hearts that is not on that list, and you can't, you don't talk about it because, like, you know, you, you might, might not be something like the disciples there in Mark nine, where they had been arguing over who was better than the other. But there's things that we can't or don't feel we can openly talk about, and there's some stuff that you feel that way and needs talking about and some stuff that is that way and shouldn't be talked about except with God. But they spent every living moment with Christ and if you look through the Bible, a lot of the men, the prophets, the the great men of God were men who spent a lot of time by themselves with God. They didn't they had their public life, and you know they they were often in the limelight. But they would go away. Even Christ would go away. It says he would uh, he arose early and departed to a solitary place, and they had to go and find him. He'd gone away to pray. Um, if we go to Deuteronomy thirty-four, just look at Moses a little bit. Um, Moses was a uh, there was no man like Moses, hasn't been born again, a man like Moses. If you read from Exodus 34, um, 34 and start in verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, this is the obituary that God wrote for Moses. This is um, the last writing directly referencing Moses in the law. And if you, Moses wrote this. Moses wrote his own obituary. Um, This is the last book of Moses. It says, verse 5, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher until this day. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. So he was 120 and still in the prime of his life. He was still just as strong as a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old. He could see just as well as any other man. Um, Verse verse 8, And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days, so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended, and Joshua the son of Nun, full of the full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there arose not a prophet 
since sorry, and there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, or in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and to and to all his land, and all the mighty hand and all of the great terror which Moses showed shewed in the sight of Israel. Go to Numbers chapter twelve. Numbers chapter twelve. Numbers chapter twelve. How did Moses? Uh, you know, it talks about Mo- there was no man like Moses for all the work that he did. Um, if you re- we start in Exodus, uh, Numbers chapter twelve. So he's in Miriam and Aaron, these are Moses' siblings, spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman which he had married, for he married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Has he not also spoken by us? And the Lord heard it. Now Moses was sorry, now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam. And so this is what he said. Come ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him. In a vision, I will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, he is faithful in all my house, mine house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So Moses had, uh, it talks there in Deuteronomy, that there wasn't a man alive like Moses. Um, and it talks here that in this uh, passage, in verse 3, it says, Moses was meek above all men which were upon the earth. Um, or meek above all men which were upon the earth. And yet he had a, a closeness to God. You know, that for all the power he had, where did the power come from? It came out of his close relationship with God. He saw the similitude there in verse 8 of the Lord. <coughs> so when he went there, he didn't, you know, the prophets, they'd see visions and they'd see, they'd hear voices and they'd have to discern between, is this the Lord? Is this actually God speaking to me or is it another spirit? Um, but he spoke of Moses and said, I'll speak to him mouth to mouth. They're sitting across the table and he could see the outline, the similitude of God. He could, he, no man, the Bible says, can see the face of God and live. But he could see when he spoke with God, God was there and he could see the outline of his presence. And no man has done that since. As far as we know, there's no recording of it. To see God like that, you know, um, and there, there are other recordings in the Bible where men, like Isaiah, if you put up chapter 6, I think, verse 1, 
Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one having had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So, and you can read about Ezekiel saw the chariot of God. And all the men that saw God were like Isaiah here. They said, I am unclean, I am a man of unclean lips, is what Isaiah said. He says, Woe is me. I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But when Moses saw God, Moses didn't fall on his face. Moses spoke with God man to man. He, didn't, he, he, had, he had a closeness with God beyond the closeness of any man. He would sit there and he would talk with God. He didn't fall on his face like Isaiah did or Ezekiel when they saw God. He had a closeness that I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't bothered by the holiness of God. It didn't, in a sense, he was, used, he was so used to being with God that they could sit there and talk. Just, you know, like we would with our friends. He would sit in the tabernacle and talk with God. And we don't have that, you know. Um, I was talking with a Japanese gentleman on the street yesterday. And he was talking about um, how the Western civilization is on its way out and that we're on, it's crumbling and that he was saying uh, you, there's more freedom in China. Um, I was probably not the best person to talk to him, but I got to the point where I was at, well, if China's so good, go live in China. <laughs> um, I'm going to pray for my country, you know. Our country is on the verge of collapse as the Western civilization. We are going downhill. But whining and griping and complaining about it is not how we solve the problem. Um, and we can't solve... We, we can say, well, preach. But unless God is in... You know, we, we say we have a standard. We need, um, Isaiah chapter 60. If we, uh, or 59, sorry. Isaiah 59, 59 in verse, um, verse 19. So shall they fear thy name from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. If we read in that verse, it's the Spirit of the Lord that had the power against the flood of ungodliness. And if we, the Bible says, I think in Ephesians, um, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Can we have that? Oh, I don't have the reference written down for it. 320. 
Now unto him, uh, can we go back to verse 19? Verse 19. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. But like always with the power of God, there is a condition, and it says, according to the power that worketh in us. Pastor uh, was preaching this morning about the indwelling of the Spirit. You know, you can't go and, if you are saved and you have the Spirit in you, you can't go and you can't just do anything anymore. Because you take the Holy Spirit of God with you to whatever it is that you're going to do. And it is the Spirit that is the power that worketh in us. And if we are hindering by our actions, the power, we can hinder the power of God through our actions. And it will, you know, it talks in Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up the standard. Our co- culture is falling apart and God wants to lift up a standard... But it's according to the power in this verse here, according to the power that worketh in us. But we resist. You know, God says, you know, this is how it should be done. This is how um, you should speak to your boss. This is how you should, you know, you, you can go through, I think it's Ephesians um, chapter 5, I believe. Ephesians chapter 5. And it gives you Ephesians 5, the end of it, from verse 22 right through to 6, chapter 6, verse 9. It gives you how the instructions for um, how to build a society, how to build a home, a family, how to have a good work environment. You can start, you know, it starts in the, um, from verse 21 even, Submitting yourselves unto one another in the fear of God. And it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Addresses the subordinate first, and then to the husband, verse 23, for the, hu- uh, sorry, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Wherefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be unto their hus- own husbands in everything. Husbands, now the husband's responsibility, to love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it with the washing of the water of the, by the word. Um, and you can go through there, and it talks about the relationship of a husband and a wife. And then verse uh, chapter 6 talks about the parents. So, and, and then um, verse 5 of chapter 6 talks about the servant to the master, or what we now call the employer-employee relationship. And it all starts, the subordinate submits to the authority and the authority then will submit back and that's God's order. And when you follow that order, you allow God to work in your life. And I can't preach the whole message on it because I don't have the experience, but there's the, the, you know, the, the, the context and the stories, but there's a message out there by a Baptist preacher called Larry Brown I think it's titled Submitting Yourselves One to the Other. And he goes through it and he gives account after account where, where he's gone and preached that message and people have said, you know what, that changed our lives, it changed my workplace, it changed the, our children's attitude, it changed you know, our relationship with God even. Because you learn that if you, you know, if for an authority to... 
um, submit to a subordinate out first is to reject his own authority. And so that's why when, when the children don't submit to their parents and they, uh, push, they push against their parents, their parents say, this isn't going to happen in our house, so we're, so we're not going to listen to this, this music, rock and roll. And the, the child pushes against that, the authority will automatically push back because it's the way God has designed it. Um, but when you say, you know what, we're going to submit to the children, the child says, so we'll submit, and we're not going to listen to that, we're going to listen to godly music, then the parents won't feel the need. When the child takes on that standard, the parents won't need to watch the children all the time because the child is trustworthy to have it, you know, to not listen to the wrong music. You can, there's this, you can give them freedom because you already know that they are trustworthy and they're trusted because they have said, you know what, that is right and I'm going to submit to the authority. And then the authority submits back. And it's that way in every area of life. If you want a pay rise from your boss, you're not going to get it by going, hey boss, give me a pay rise. The, the, um, and you can, you can ask if you genuinely are, cannot make ends meet. Make an appeal and say, look, I can't make ends meet. I can't keep a roof over my family. You know, I can't keep food on the t- You know, I'm struggling for food. I'm struggling with petrol. You can make an appeal to the authority, but other than that, to just brazenly go and say, look, give me, they, the authority doesn't work like that because it's not in God's design of the authority. Um... So, you know, you can submit. So he says, do this, do it. And then when you've been doing it, trust the Lord and say say to the Lord, look, I'm submitting, I'm doing my part. And if God, if your, your employer or the employee won't submit back, then God will remove you from that to a position where you will be paid better, paid what you're worth based on your work ethic. But it's you submit to the authority. Um, a and I spend all night on this, but um, the American Revolution. Why did they succeed rebelling against the king of England? Because they were under the authority of the king of England, and they had to submit to the king. But they re- they rebelled, as it were, against the king. Why did God bless America? America has been the most attacked nation for freedom from the devil because they, you read their constitution, read the Declaration of Independence, and they said, we're doing this because of God. We've appealed, they appealed to the authority, to the king, 27 times as recorded in the document, and they said, at the end of it, when the king wouldn't listen, they said, look, you're not listening. So we're not, they didn't rebel against the king, they appealed to a higher authority, which was God. They said... There is a higher law than the King of England and we are appealing to God who has created us with these rights and you are uh, suppressing our rights and you are preventing us from even worshipping God how God says that we should be worshipping. And so they appealed to God and said because of the law of God we will, we're not subject to you anymore. And 
they went from submitting to the king and appealing to the king to submitting and appealing to God. And when they did that, there's not been a nation like America. Um, it's they, the greatest, the biggest reason why America is in the state that it is nowadays is because of the satanic attack, because of how biblical and how sound the nation was formed. That is, the devil has attacked that. And we, have, we don't have that in our country. We don't have that um, heritage, as it were. We have some form of it, but nowhere near the level that the Americans had. Um, and, again, I, I'll get off world history. I'll preach all night on it. Um, I, I really can. <laughs> um, because... The heritage has gone down because of World War I and World War II and the fathers not passing on. The fathers who died in the war, the fathers who were scarred during the wars to the point where they couldn't talk. They lost, they, they, had, they could no longer fellowship with their next generation to pass on the things of God and since then you can mark it that our society has fallen apart. Um, and because the men have not passed it, you read in Deuteronomy where it says, Ye fathers, I think in Deuteronomy chapter 11, it says, Ye fathers, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18, it says, Therefore ye shall lay up these words in your heart and your souls and bind them for a sign upon your hands, that ye may that but that it may be as frontlets between your eyes, and ye shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house, and upon thy gates. It doesn't say there, uh, ye fathers, in that passage, but there are places where it talks, ye fathers. It speaks in the New Testament, uh, raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we lost that in World War One and Two, because the men died or were scarred to the point where they couldn't talk. And the things of God were not passed on, and you can see the degradation in society. And the, spirit, the enemy has come in like a flood. And God wants to lift up a standard yep. and to repair the breach. Yep. If you go to Isaiah chapter 58, 58... Yeah. Isaiah 58. 58. This is um, verse 12. It says, And they that shall be of thee, and they that shall be of thee, so that's your children, shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt rise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of the paths to dwell in. So it's, there's um, God wants to fix our society. You know, with the Western culture is falling to pieces, and God wants to fix it. Yep. God wants to turn it around. Yep. But uh, if you look in over 59 in chapter uh, chapter 59, Isaiah 59:16, it says, "And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him." And his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, 
and an helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with cloak as a zeal. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversary, recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, and the Spirit of the Lord the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come from come to Zion, and unto him that and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. For this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. So again, the Lord's speaking of generations there. He's speaking of from the fathers to the son. And again, we lost that in World War One and World War Two because of the men who died. And what they died for was, a, was in World War Two a just cause, but World War One was not a just war. Um, uh, again, I'll get, try and get off of world history, but the power to fix our society is the power that was poured out at Pentecost. The power that the apostles had is the power we still need today, the power of the Spirit of God living in us. In verse 13, Acts 4, chapter 4, verse 13, uh, um, which I read again as our main uh, thrust for the message. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. The power that we are looking, that we need for our nation to fix, to restore the breach, to repair the paths to dwell in, to lift, for the, for the Spirit of the Lord to lift up a standard against the flood that, of iniquity and un- wickedness that has come in, is us being with Jesus. Um, it's not, you know, we, we can read our Bibles and not be with Jesus. We can read, we can pray and not have been with Jesus. You know, we have our needs, but being with Jesus is more than just, Lord, this is my problem, my need. This is my nation's need. And it's not just, well, I've read my five chapters, I've read my two chapters, whatever it is that you read. Um, you know, if we want to get to know someone, we spend time with them. And, you know, for us to make friends, we spend time. Um, and, you know, you can know your friends and you can rely on them to a certain degree. But they can't always be there. But if you go to Proverbs 18, verse 24... 18.24 The man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And that's talking about Christ. Christ is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. If you put up seven, uh, Proverbs 17.17 17, Back at chapter 17, 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So our brethren here is to support us in times of struggle. If you put up Hebrews 13, verse 5. Now let your conversation be without covetousness. 
Sorry, yeah. And be content with such things as ye have. For he, say, hath, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So, then we, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I, shall, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. When we have Christ as our friend, there's no need to fear the uh, enemy or the faces of the people. Christ puts something in you that you're not afraid to stand and speak. You're not afraid to have your standard to say this is the way God said to do it and so I'm going to do it because God said to do it. And you can, you know, you not just, well, the preacher said or um, the pastor said, mum and dad said, but this is what the Bible says. And so because God has said it, I'm going to do it. Then Christ will give you the strength if you're doing it for his glory, not so that you can say, well, look, look at him, look at how uh, holy he is. The Bible says, uh, <coughs> I think in Isaiah, again, it says, Stand thou there, and come not near unto me, for I am holier than thou. You know, where you can have that attitude about you, but and God, you know, you'd be doing all the right things and just and have the attitude of, I'm better than you are, and God won't bless that attitude, the, the pride of, well, I'm better than him, that, again, come back to what the disciples were arguing about. Now, we, so to, to be with Jesus, um, as Acts 4, 13, um, that the last section of there, it says, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Um, if you look, if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 5 again, the nature of man is not to know, want to know God. We want, naturally, a preacher to bring us the word. And we want someone else to lead in the prayer. You know, when we pray, we, we want, you know, so-and-so to lead prayer. And you just, people, oftentimes, fall, you know, we fall into the trap of, well, I'll just say amen once he said in Jesus' name. You know, we say in Jesus' name, amen. And we fall into the trap of, we just listen. And he's just speaking and you're just, you're just waiting for the cue from the person praying to then say your part, which is amen. You know, he says in Jesus' name. And you hear that and suddenly, oh, amen. And you haven't actually prayed. You've just listened, or sometimes not even listened. You're just listening for the cue in Jesus' name. And then we say amen. The word amen means truth and verity. It means that what has been said is true in the sight of God. And so if you're going to say amen, and you don't know what's been said, you're saying that blank is true. You don't know, because you weren't paying attention. Um... Uh, in high school, they get up there and in the college, they do their little prayer in Maori and then expect everyone to say Amen, which is the Maori form of um, uh, Amen. And I'd never, at the start, you know, I'd, you know, they're praying, so I bowed my head. I'd never say Amen because I never understood. By the time I, I left college, I wouldn't even bow my head. The Maori typically do not pray to Christ. When they get up there and they're having their spiel and they're, they're praying, they pray if you listen. Listen for the words Tani Mahuta. They pray to Tani Mahuta, the god of the forest. They pray to the god of the sea. They pray to the god of the land, to the god of the sky. If you listen to what they are actually saying and you, you can pick out the words, 
we were actually at um, the kindergarten. There was a porphyry, one of the teachers that had been a teacher there from when I was at the kindergarten. And we were there because, you know, it's uh, quite a big do. I think it was, no, I think it was the 50th anniversary of the kindergarten or something like that. And they had on the wall, you know, I was just looking around, and it had the list of the Maori gods and all the different names. And I just, I just read through them. And then when they prayed, I, you know, I didn't bow my head because it, I don't have a clue what they're saying. I was looking at the list, and I went down through the list of the Maori gods as they said their names, as they prayed to their gods. And this, that's where, our, you know, they talk about this uh, Matariki day. I don't really like it very much. Because, not because I'm against having another holiday, um, necessarily. Uh, Rome, Rome died of holidays, but um, you know, I have a problem with it because, not because I have a problem with Maori culture, but because they worship Matariki. It is their god that guided them to New Zealand. The, the seven sister stars led the way. And I, you know, I don't have a problem with the, having a holiday. I have a problem with having a holiday that celebrates a heathen god. You know, um, and we see that. Um, how do I get off on that? Um, <laughs> how do I get off on that? I don't. The Bible says that you shall have no gods before God, and you know you're not to make a graven image, not to have a idol carved out, but you can carve out, and the Maori have done this, a god in their minds. They believe, and we do the same. We carve out an idea of God, this is what God is, and this is his standard. But if it's not, if your idea of God doesn't come from this book, you have a graven image of God in your own mind, and it's the imagination, the image you know, talk about not to bow down to an image. Well, that's your imagination as well, because it's the image in your mind of what you think God is, not what God actually is according to His Word. That's right. God has a standard, and when we line ourselves up with that standard, then He will have fellowship with us. If you, uh, if we go to Deuteronomy chapter five now, um, we'll start. One, and we'll read one through five. It says, And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. The Lord your God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Horeb. The Lord made not a covenant with our fathers, but with us, even who are of us here, sorry, here alive this day. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount, in the out of the midst of the fire, I stood between you and the Lord at that time to show you the word of the Lord, for ye were afraid by reason of the fire that went and went not into the mount, saying, uh, went not up into the mount. Um, um, so the voice there, God spoke to the Ten Commandments. When God spoke the Ten Commandments initially, all Israel heard it. And that's what you, the Bible says there. And they heard it and they were afraid. They were afraid by reason of the voice which spake out of the midst of the fire. If you go, um, if you read down through um, chapter uh, 5, verse 6 through to 21, he recites the Ten Commandments. But in verse 22, um, 
sake of time, we'll pick, pick up verse 22. In these words, the Lord spake unto you, unto all your assembly in the mount, out of the midst of the fire of, of the cloud and of thick darkness, with a great voice. And he added no more, and he wrote them in two tables of snow, stone and delivered them unto me. And it came to pass that when ye heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that ye came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and said, Behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of fire, the fire, and we have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more. Sorry, any more. Then we shall die. For this, for who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire, as we have and lived? Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say unto us, and speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee, and we will hear it and do it. And God accepted them on that to have prophets to speak to them and not God. And they are, and you say, well, I mean, if you think about the description of the mountain there, there was basically a volcanic eruption going on. And Moses was saying, let's go. There's a volcanic eruption, that's God, and we're going to go up there. And Moses went up to the mountain in that state. Moses wasn't afraid of God because he trusted God. He had that relationship with God where he could see God, the similitude of God, and talk with him as a friend. You know, that, that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But as human nature, you know, I said this a little bit before, we want, some, we want a priest. The people here, they wanted a priest. They wanted someone to go to God for them and someone um, for God to go through to get to us. And we have that. We have a mediator and his name is Jesus Christ. The thing is, he is God. He is, Jesus Christ is God and he is the one that intercedes between us and the Father. He is our high priest, not a man. Um, The biggest, uh, the civil war in England was caused over this. The, The right, whether they should be a priest between man and God. They had just printed... They just authorized and printed the Bible, um, and there was a war over whether they should be a Catholic nation, because the Catholics say you have to go to God through the priest. At the time, the Church of England, you had to go through their preacher to get the Word of God. You didn't have it on a kitchen bench. And that's the reason why it was such a big thing to have the Word of God. One of the, after Christmas and Easter, I don't know... You guys living in the city probably not so familiar with it, but who knows Guy Fawkes? You know Guy Fawkes? Guy Fawkes was the 5th of November. He was a Catholic man who tried to blow up Parliament when they authorised the Bible because he thought that you had to go through the priest to get the Word of God. You couldn't have the... You know, the communists couldn't have the Bible because if the communists have the Bible, the communists can go to God themselves and they'll... They can be free because to know you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Yeah. And that's why it's you know um, Guy Fawkes. We have you know the fireworks, and we I don't know if you guys ever went to a bonfire. Did anybody here go to aside from Tim to a bonfire where you actually have a guy 
like you break clothing and you stuff it with straw and you stick it on the top of a great big fire and burn it. 400 years later, we're still celebrating the death of that guy um, because it was God's word was given to us through the authorization of the king and that man tried to stop it. Um, and again, you, um, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And since they authorized the Bible, England's power and the spread of the English empire was at its greatest. Why? Not because the English were great people. In fact, if you look at the colonial accounts, the English were terrible people. Um, but it was because they had the Bible. And God took the Bible around the world through them. Um, you know, there's... Um, Places in Africa speak English. Why did God let the English go into Africa and do all that they did? And it's because they now can read the Word of God. They, they, they know English, not that English is special, but England, the English language is where the Bible has been preserved. Not necessarily, you know, we have, it's the authorized King James Version. Yeah. And you, if you study about that, they spent about seven years translating the Bible. You think about what they do nowadays for a translation of the Bible and who's considered acceptable. They had three groups individually working on separate sections of the Bible and they translated and brought it together and it matched. Without them, you know, they, they cross-referenced, they checked it and they did all of that and it took them seven years and now it takes five years to write a new text in Greek and then a year to translate out of the new Greek text to make a new Bible. And that's what they're doing. And you say, well, is that the word of God? Well, no. Yeah, that's right. Um, you can't, the Bible is pure. God's word is pure. And if you have mistakes and slip-ups and you have to retranslate it every five years because the Greek text changed because so-and-so bigwig uh, just decides that the, the Greek doesn't, you know, that, that's just old hat now. That's, if you look up at the higher-ups behind the translations, that is basically how it works. We don't, it's not popular to have that anymore. So we're going to rewrite the Greek so we can then say that the Greek manuscript doesn't fit that anymore, so they write a new Bible. But for 400 years, this one has stayed the same, and this one's the one where the power has been. Name a revival, you know, um, that is, you, you go back to when they had the great revivals, like D.L. Moody or those men, and they used the Bible. Now that we have all these translations, where's the power of God? You know, the best we've had is Billy Sunday. If you know about, much about the crusades that Billy Sunday led, he would go to a town and he would preach. And they, the bars would shut down in the town because everybody came to Christ and drinking wasn't part of being a Christian. So the bars would close down, whole towns. He would move to a town and there was one town that they said, look, if you don't, if you don't leave, we're going to kill you. And, the, and Billy Sunday said, you can't threaten me with heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach. You, can't, you killing me is sending me to heaven. I'm not afraid to go to heaven. So go ahead. He had... A backbone, but his own son commit, died committing suicide 
because he, his dad was so busy doing his great work that he forgot about his own son. He didn't pass it on to the next generation. And you think about him, you think about um, Billy Graham. Started out strong and ended ecumenical. He believed that you, know, you can believe whatever you want in the Bible. Any, uh, any particular group is a way to God, whether it be the Mormons, whether it be the Jehovah's Witness, whether it be the Seventh-day Adventist, the Baptist, it didn't matter. You can just get to God any old way. As long as you go through, quote, the Bible, and you can back, up, back it up with Bible. Um, but the power that we need, again, try and, try and um, come back to this and finish off, the power that we need is the power of God uh, in us. If we go to Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah 7 and verse 4. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if ye will thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if ye thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if ye oppress not the stranger and the fatherless and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then ye shall, then I will cause you to dwell in this place and in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Ye will steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this place, in this house, which is called by my name, and will and say, We are delivered. To all these abominations. These people, they would go to the church service, the temple service, or us today, we go to church. If, we, if these were people um, in churches, and they'd say, you know, and Jeremiah was saying, you can't live like this, like Pastor was preaching this morning. You can't behave like this and be a Christian. It doesn't match the Spirit of God that's in you. You have the Holy Ghost in you. You, you know, you can't just go out and drink. You can't go out and fornicate. You can't go out and do all these worldly things with the Spirit of God in you. And these people were saying, uh, it doesn't matter because, uh, you read there, um, we are delivered, uh, verse 10, we are delivered to do all these abominations. They said we can't help it. It's the way we're designed. It's uh, our nature you know, it's everyone's doing it. They had their excuse. But we sang the song this morning, and Andre sang it again this afternoon, evening. It says, there's power in the blood. Yep. We can. Yep. We can do the right thing, and we can uh, behave in a godly manner, not of our own strength. Um, it talks, Pastor talks about making flesh your arm. When you, if you trust on your own arm, the song, there's a song that says, The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Uh, the song is Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. It says, You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Stand in his strength alone. We need the power of God on our lives, but you can't just have the power of God and live any old way you want to. If you look... Uh, go to Isaiah chapter 33. 
Isaiah 33, and for time's sake, just jump down to uh, verse 10, I think. Um, no, verse 9. The earth mourneth and languisheth. Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down. Sharon is like a wilderness, and Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. Now will I arise, now will I rise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. If you read there about those, if you look and study those places, they are the uh, best places. They're kind of like the Waikato Valley. If you um, study the Waikato, the Waikato is one of the most uh, fruitful places for farming in New Zealand. Because of the mist, there's all the fog down there, and it's like the Garden of Eden. There was a fog that went up and watered the ground. That happens in the Waikato, in the big river valleys. The Californian Valley in America is the same. And that's what these places were like. They were the best places in the nation for growing food. And it's saying, these places have failed. When the best, the best has failed, God said, I will... Uh, lift myself up. So, so when the best of everything and the best of all the Christians will humble themselves and will uh, make themselves low, the Bible says, in verse 10, Now will I arise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. Ye shall conceive. So it's talking about this is, this is the fruit of a person's labor without the Lord. Ye shall conceive, in verse 11, chaff. Ye shall bring forth stubble. Your, fire, your breath as fire shall devour you. Your own words are playing against you. You're, you know, you can't keep a straight sentence. You can't... Um, and all, all the effort, you pour, pour in everything you can into something and it comes to nothing because you're doing it for you and not for God. Read um, uh, verse 12. And the people shall be as the burning of lime and as thorns cut up shall they be burned in a fire. If you take thorns and cut them up, Gorse is about the quickest thing. You want a fire to burn quick? Gorse burns quick. Gorse is a very prickly plant. You think about blackberry brambles. They burn quick. They're hollow on the inside and they burn very, very quick. So it's talking, you know, it's not that it's going to last a while and be just burnt up. It's gone quickly. Um, Verse 13. Hear ye that are far off what I have done, and ye that are near... Acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the ever dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? Um, so it's, these people, they had all. They were doing all of their temple rituals like they were in the Book of Jeremiah, uh, the Temple of the Lord, the Temple of the Lord. We're going to the temple. You know, we're doing service for God. What are you? preaching to us to say, amend our ways, our ways are right. Um, but it says there in verse 15, so who, um, verse 14 it says, Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? He that walketh righteously, and he that speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppression, he that, by the way, that's communism. Um, communism is gain through oppression, and so is socialism, anyway. <laughs> I try, try not to spend too much time on each of these because, but because um, I've just been given my five minutes. Um, he that speaketh uprightly, he that despise, despiseth the gain of oppression, he that shaketh his hands from the holding of bribes, 
and stoppeth his ears from the hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from the seeing of evil. If you look there, it talks about the hearing of blood. It's not just the hearing of any old blood, because we talk about the blood of Christ cleansing us, and it does. But it's the uh, uh, the unnecessary blood. You talk about, if you watch a Hollywood movie, it's all about death. If you look there also, um, yeah. and shutteth his eyes from seeing of evil. Yeah. If you look at all the world's entertainment, that is what it is. It's the hearing of blood and the seeing of evil. They're killing each other without a reason. They're um, and uh, doing all of these wicked things. And God says, if you want to watch that, you're not going to dwell with me. Moses had a closeness with God, a fellowship with God. The apostles had a fellowship with God, and it was the source of their power. Why doesn't the church have power today? Because we're not dwelling with God. We don't abide with God, because God won't bless and abide with our wickedness. And that's the verse. Who, Who shall abide... Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He that walketh up, he that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly. He that despiseth the gain of oppression and shaketh his hands from the holding of bribes, and that stoppeth his ears from the hearing of blood and his eyes from the seeing of evil. He shall dwell on high. His place shall be a defence of the mutations of rocks. If you look at a castle, the castle wall outline along the top. It goes along, comes down, comes across, goes up, goes along, comes down, goes across. That's a mutation. It's a place when you can stand on the castle wall and you can shoot down at the enemy. You can throw the rocks, you can throw the spears, whatever, down onto the enemy assaulting the wall. And when they shoot back, you can step behind the rock, behind the mutation, and you're sheltered from whatever comes back at you. So God will defend you from the fiery darts of the wicked. We talk about the shield of faith. Um, verse 17, Isaiah 33, verse 17. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty, and shall behold the land that is very far off. And that's where Moses got to. He could see the similitude of God, and he beheld the land of Canaan afar off. He, ne- he didn't go in because he spoke the rock the second time. He didn't obey the word of God. God said, speak to the rock, and he smote it. And he only saw the land. But we can see heaven afar off. We can have... Um, the blessing of you know, thine eyes shall see the king and his beauty. Um, it says, but again, it's the condition. He that walketh uprightly, you read verse 15 again, but it's, in verse 18 it says, he shall meditate terror. Where is the scribe? Where is the receiver? Where is he that counteth the towers? Thou shalt not see a people, a fierce people, a people of deeper speech than thou can perceive, and of a stammering tongue that, that thou canst not understand. Where a, a, a deeper speech than thou canst perceive. Talk about, you know, they can't, there's not going to be some intellectual professor that can confuse you. If you will live righteously with God, God will give you the answers. But it's based on he that walketh righteously, he that speaketh uprightly. This is verse 15 again. He that despiseth the gain of oppressions and shaketh his hands from the holding of bribes and stoppeth his ears from the hearing of blood and shutteth his eyes from the seeing of evil. It is that man that will have fellowship with God, not when we go around uh, you know, polluting our own mind with what we watch, polluting our thought and 
things like that. If you, our, our psalm that we read this morning, Psalm 24, speaks along the same lines. Uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall, be, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and the righteousness from the, the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek uh, thy face, O Jacob, Selah. And um, talks about seeking the face of God. Moses saw God and spoke to him face to face. And um, he, he was, again, more... The Bible doesn't speak of a man more highly than Moses. Um, and so if we want to have the power to turn our nation around, whether it be our nation, New Zealand, or the Philippines, we're going to need the power from God, but we're going to need to get that power... Through, you know, the power comes through the fellowship with God, walking uprightly and walking in God's ways. And, you know, it's not just, um, you know, the verse, if we just close with Acts chapter 4 again, go to Acts chapter 4, um, and we'll close out. It says, They had been with Jesus. Um, have we been with Jesus as opposed to read about him. You know, you can read about Christ in the Bible, but have we been with Christ? Have we actually spent time with him? Or do, is it just our section of Bible we have to read? Have we been with Jesus or do we talk about him? You know, come to church and talk about God and the things of God. Do we pray to him because of his, who he is or what he can do for us? Because the, you know, we, we need to ask God for the blessings because he is the source of the blessings. But if you just look for the blessings, you're just using God as a slot machine for, when, for what I want. Or are we talking to God because he is our saviour? Because of who he is, not what he can do for you. Um, and so we need to spend time with Jesus more than anything. More than, uh, you know, you can spend time with Jesus at church, but you need to spend time privately with Christ. And so do I, to receive the power that we need to save our nation and turn this around. We need to get, uh, get with Jesus, to spend time with Christ, to learn his ways, not because of, um, you know, we, we say, well, God will bless me. Well, yes, God will. But do we want to do it just because of who Christ is, not what Christ will do for us? Um, and with that, I'll close. Um, you know, we need to spend time with Christ because that's where we will gain the power to do what we need to do for our nation and for the world and for the church of God. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray, Lord, that we would spend time with you, Lord, uh, in fellowship with you, not just out of our duty, Lord, but because of who you are, Lord, our Saviour, and that, uh, Lord, that 
you would be glorified in the midst of our nation, Lord. We ask you give us a revival, Lord, in these last times. And Lord, we know, Lord, from your word that it's when we will humble ourselves and turn from our wicked way and confess our sins, then will you hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal our land, Lord. We ask you give us the heart and the desire and the will to turn to you, Lord, to turn away from our own wickedness, Lord, and our understanding of the way things be done. And Lord, turn to the way you said to do it, Lord. Not because we just want the blessing, Lord, though we do want it, but Lord, that we can glorify your name, and Lord, to please you as you've designed us to. Lord, we ask you give us the grace and the strength and the power to do it through the blood of Christ. We ask you to do it to glorify your name, and in Jesus' name we ask that you do this. Amen.